The following program is an abridged audio version of the streaming video talk show, A Wonderful Chaos. The hosts are Andy Chaliff and Bambos Dimitriou. The format is entirely casual, unscripted conversation. If you'd like to watch a live taping or participate with your comments in real time, subscribe to A Wonderful Chaos on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, or Twitch. I'm in a really beautiful place now where it's Western medicine and it's herbal medicine. It's prevention and if I need it, it's cure. I don't need to be dogmatic about the way I live anymore. Yeah. I lived fossil fuel free for years and off grid for years. And I'm kind of now dancing with both worlds. Um, mm. And that, that's what that kind of way of being is really healthy for me personally. Mm. Um, and respect to everyone who chooses to live off-grid. It's a wonderful chaos, random, messy and glorious. Solo or tandem? We work to find rest, and fight to find peace. Both head and the heart, like a you and peace. What are we doing here? You mean listening to this show? Where the more that you learn is the less that you know. Where the wounded are healers, and the atheists pray? It's a wonderful chaos, and we like it that way. Today we have Tasha Stevens Valencio. Nicely pronounced. But Tasha Stevens Valencio. 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 And we're going to be talking to her about foraging for a living. And when we say foraging for a living, it's really that the last 10 years of her, her life, she lived only off food from the land. So this yeah. is really legit. I know Tasha from my work. She works at 42 Acres in Somerset, England, which is a land, an incredible piece of land where they're doing retreats, where they do short stays, and where they're focusing on food and food philosophy. So basically, I've been interacting with them, helping them define their vision statement and their mission statement and, and, and just sort of supporting them in that process. And through that process, Tasha and I became uh, friends and we've been interacting and doing projects as well. And it, it, as she told me her story, I got more and more fascinated by the whole idea that you could live 10 years. Think about that, Dumbos. 10 years only off food you're foraging from land. And then take it one step further. Now she's hired by the retreat center, 42 acres, and said, hey, we've got this vast amount of land. We want you to help us figure out how do we forage how do we pick wild things? What's edible? What's not edible? Wow. How do we grow mushrooms here? How do we create a self-sustaining ecosystem which will feed people who come on our retreats? Isn't that wild? So when I said I forage <coughs> for a living, what, it's really what, true. What the fact that we consider it to be wild is wild. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think if if there's anything I've learned over the last years – it's that going back to simplicity is relearning something that everyone else knew in generations before us. Yeah. So everyone else understood how nature worked. And now, you know, you could ask a kid, where does the egg come from? And they'll just say the supermarket, yeah. you know, or milk, right? There's just no consciousness <laughs> of, of that uh, in their psyche. Mm -hmm. And we see that also when we bring on people like when we had uh, from Make Soil and the whole composting movement. And the idea that 
it's so hard to see a feedback loop. Like where do we have food, which is what we've consumed and left over, and see that it goes back into soil, which then can be used again to create food. Like that feedback loop is so far away from us in cities that we lose consciousness that there's this regenerative possibility in our in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a really good show, by the way, with Josh. What's his last yeah, name? Yeah, Josh. Uh, Josh. We, we, Josh Witten. Witten. Josh yes. Witten, yeah. Look him up on the wonderful kills. So I say we bring Tasha on. Um, when was the last time you've ever done an interview like this? Have you ever done an interview like this? Um, when I was quite young, when I was in my early 20s, I started to become interested in um, indigenous wisdom and mm -hmm. activism to do with protecting um, the lands of people in Latin America. And I got a grant to go to the Amazon. And wow. um, as part of that work, I was partly uh, funded through the BBC. And I started doing uh, interviews and traveling internationally, but I actually stopped because I realized I was becoming the thing that um, I was talking about getting rid of. <laughs> wow. And what was that? <clears throat> well, I was traveling internationally and talking about eating local food, regenerating local food systems, becoming more in touch with our surroundings. And so, yeah, I just, I came back from the Amazon and I just was like, I'm not doing that. And yeah. just began to kind of um, go, go into it <laughs> wow into a process which was about 15 years ago and um mm. and actually now i feel like i need to do a little bit of both like um to talk about these experiences and the importance of this kind of work and also to disappear onto the land because that's where i can hear that's where i'm home yeah mm. yeah I know the feeling. I think, uh, as I told Bambos, I took that long trip, the long walk along the co coast of the country, and I saw immediately being near to nature, I felt more grounded and more connected and more centered. Mm -hmm. So I immediately went, after getting back the first day, I went right back to the place I was in nature and said, Ronnie, let's find a place here. So basically mm -hmm. just looking for a house in nature, which is, uh, mm -hmm. you know, far more. You know, I always say I'm always feeling closer to being at peace with death when I'm in that spaciousness. And when I'm in a city, it's like the illusion of this stuff in front of me, it doesn't center me. So I'm, I'm kind of taken away out of my body. Yeah. Nicely I would cool. say Western culture is very mind-based, very, <clears throat> yeah. very head-based. And so we just, um, you know, I was brought up in London and uh, you can become very disassociated with, Yeah. your body and your surroundings because the city's not really built for being beautifully human. It's kind of built for an economic mm. machine, really. Yeah. I, I love, I love what you just said, actually. Mm. City is not built for being beautifully human. Question for you. Did mom and dad wear tie dye or not? They did not. <laughs> what, what was their profession um, or were their professions uh, so my dad's from Latin America he's from Nicaragua mm -hmm. and uh, he was born 
in a village. And sadly, due to war, he had to leave. Mm-hmm. And my mum, you could say she's an academic. She um, was part of the big wave of English as a foreign language explosion that happened um, as people began international travel in a really big way. Wow. And you, as you said prior to us coming on, had your first foraging experience at six years old that you can remember. And how did your parents, because I asked if they had tie-dye, because I thought to myself, I had never had a foraging experience with my parents that I can remember. So what was it that brought your parents to do that and how how did it affect you? They didn't. I I found some brambles at the bottom of my road. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um as a kid I was allowed to play on the street and um I li- I was lucky enough even though it was a council area, I was lucky enough that the road was not very busy because it was a close. And I lived by a tiny little tributary that runs into the Thames. And um, I'm not sure how I'd feel about my daughter foraging there because it probably had dog pee on it or whatever. But like I innately had the drive to eat the berries that were growing along the side of the road. So my memories just from me responding to what I could see as a snack when I was a kid. Wow. And I mean, did that like, cause that's your earliest memory, but did you, you know, like some kids, you know, gravitate towards things that actually stay with them. Would you say it was your first experience or was it one that you said, I'm now wanting to understand what I can and can't eat or how did it evolve from that, from there? It wasn't a logical process. Um, I remember eating grass at school. Um, I remember, I remember putting things in my mouth and, sensing into them whether or not I should keep them there. <laughs> Very <laughs> wise. Realize I'm saying this. Um, yeah, and I remember <clears throat> figuring out that grass was very sweet. Uh-huh. I wanted to understand the world around me. That's how I, I um, was sensing into the world. And food was a big part of my life. My grandmother was an amazing cook uh-huh. and used to take me for lessons on cooking. So it was, and I was fascinated by nature. I was absolutely, I, as you were saying, I, 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 um, I really struggled. I, when I was born, I wondered very early on why I was there. Mm. Why am I here? Like, why am I here? I couldn't understand why I was born where I was born it felt Mm. I felt like I was in the wrong place some people feel like they're in the wrong body I felt like I was in the wrong place Mm. and um I think (laughs) I can't hello hello this is Lillian (laughs) Lillian she can hear us now right yeah Lillian can hear you Lillian tell us what's your favorite thing that your mother cooks beans and rice (laughs) (laughs) Are those beans coming out of a can or are they picked from some special garden somewhere? Coming out of a can. <laughs> <laughs> You're exposing your mother. What's the when's the last time your mom took you to McDonald's? Uh like since nowhere. <laughs> I figured that would be the case. Hmm. That's nice. 
And how how much gardening do you do behind you? I see you've got a beautiful garden behind you. How much do you garden there? Quite a lot. And what do you like most about gardening? Gardening. <laughs> yeah. My, gar my garden was the most productive last year, actually. Really. How did you grow? <laughs> the best strawberries ever. Amazing. Really. So yeah. So sweet. I love and that. Lily's a really good mushroom forager. She doesn't like to eat them, but she's really, really good at finding them. Better yeah. Than... What's the trick to mushroom foraging, Lily? I don't really know. I just do it. Yeah. <laughs> Intuition. I noticed when I went mushroom foraging that I'd always try to go in the shadows of the trees because it was a little bit more mossy there. Mm. That's at least what I remembered. Where did you do that? I did that in in, in um, the Czech Republic. Mm. I used to go um, foraging <clears throat> for mushrooms a lot with my ex girlfriend's family. We had we had mushroom foraging days, which Is I enjoyed. It, that's just normal, there, isn't it? Yeah, it was very normal. In fact, one of the funniest moments of my life, and you know how I like to play. I sat with Grandma because Grandma was still alive. And I asked grandma if she'd ever had mushrooms, the psychedelics, not the. And then and I'm sitting at the table and everyone's looking at me. They they understand the question I've asked, but they're kind of confused. Like, why is he asking grandma if she's ever had had um, had psychedelics. psychedelics? And she said, no, I've never had psychedelics. But there was one time I ate something and I was floating above the table like a baby and feeling like that the world was so perfect, but I'd never had a psychedelic experience. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I, wow. And it was the funniest moment to see that she didn't even realize that she thought it was food poisoning and that it was just an experience she was having, not even realizing that it was actually a, she had picked the wrong mushroom or the right one in this case, probably. Yeah. We have this idea that um, that these things aren't normal, like a psychedelic mushroom isn't a normal experience. Yeah. Or, um, you know, I, I was commenting to someone that, you know, for example, foxglove, it's um, it it it's poisonous. It would hurt you if you ate a lot of foxglove, mm -hmm. but taken in a really small amount. It's actually used in homeopathic medicine to, for your for the repair and improvement of your heart. And uh, so we have this kind of uh, thing that we do as humans. Is it good or is it bad? Yeah. Mm. And, and you know, um, <clears throat> certain plants are bad because they're poisonous or yeah. certain mushrooms are, are bad because they may create an experience that's not normal. Yeah. Um, but people have been using these herbs and mushrooms for a long time and you could uh, also argue that they're highly medicinal. Yeah, sure. The I always love when we're together, I feel like I'm listening to a Harry Potter book because like in no world would I hear the word foxglove and think that that's in a normal conversation, right? <laughs> like that's something I would see that J.K. Rowling would write in her book mm. and he pulled foxglove out of the closet to, you know, mm. finish the potion. <laughs> uh, Tasha. Be, like just being with you for the last 28 minutes um wow. actually 17 minutes 17 wow 17, I was thinking, sorry wow. i was counting the seconds 
you come across as someone that not only lives off the land, but mm. even the clothing and your choice of jewelry, beauty products, if you use them, they're all going to be ingredients which are raw. Mm. Like, like you're, you're very um, conscious as to where everything is coming from to the point of you don't even think about it. I believe that everything, everything has an energetic vibration. Mm. Everything mm. is energy, really. And so my choice of what I eat, my choice of what I put on my body or um, what, what deodorant I use, that's all going to be frequencing in a certain way. Mm. And I, I, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to admit what I really think, right? Because it's not normal. Oh, actually, everything you said resonates for me. So yeah, it resonates for me as well. I, I wouldn't okay. classify it as yeah, hippie. I, I would okay. consider this pretty, pretty standard. If you don't see that the world is seen through that lens, then that's just a different okay. lens you're not looking through. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so in, I, I believe that in order to support myself to be the best person I can be in service to Gaia, I need to be putting the right, um, the supportive energies around me. That's yeah. people, that's clothing, foods, family relationships. You're always trying to, to put, I call it chispa. It's like spirit of life, like yeah. high spirit of life in, in everything. And so the more conscious choices you can make, the stronger your own personal energy will be, the more more potent you'll be in the world. Mm. Mm. I thought it was sweet that our relationship, in a way, we are quite different, right? In terms of, you know, or not. What, what, what's your I feeling? I actually... Um, I remember when I met you and I remember being like, wow, there's a similar soul vibration there. And it was yeah. very comforting uh, for me. It, it, sorry, let me rephrase it. The way I dress and present okay. myself, it may be perceived from others that we're different. Yeah. That's Brilliant. a better way of, that's a better way of stating it. Yeah. On, yeah, on, I mean, an, on another note, you've also left your house in flip-flops. I mean, I would I would look like a hippie all day if Ronnie allowed me to. My wife does. She went through my wardrobe and threw out half the things and said, "Andy, you, you can't dress this way anymore." <laughs> but but the, my, my, I guess the what I wanted to share is a gratitude. When I met you, I saw that you don't appreciate or have connection with just anybody, and there was a deep sense of uh, appreciation because I felt really seen by you. Because I also knew how discerning you are concerning the energy where people are saying one thing and behaving another way. So I just wanted to share my I, gratitude for that. I have a, I have a, so yeah, so this, the beautiful thing about, well, you're welcome. Mm -hmm. Thank you for being in my life as well. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I think spending, so I, I lived off grid for about 13 years. And I think that time tunes you into um, reality more and more and more. And reality can be seen through many lenses, but there, but there is a, there is a thing that happens in the world. And I can't help that. I feel like I, I cannot, if someone's giving me 
bullshit. Like if someone's not being true to themselves, I feel like I can't see them. It's like a opaque. There's like a, I can't really see them. <clears throat> and, and, um, and equally when someone's done that work to, to be really embodied and to be really present and to be who they are in whatever way that comes, right. There's a thousand yeah. ways to do that work. Um, uh, I can I, I can see them and then there's like soul connection yeah and it, they might be a completely different soul to me but but there's a truthfulness mm -hmm. there. yeah so it was very nice to to see how you were talking about him like all of a sudden you spoke <laughs> spoke from this space I always say that Andy's very consistent and that's why I trust him like I've never experienced him up till now not behaving in a way which is not in alignment as to what he puts out in the world. Thank you. You're welcome. I, um, what I feel from both of you, because Bambos is very similar to when you describe that opaque thing, like that's how I know Bambos. So I see Bambos as an incredible mirror for me and you, because if either of you sort of like even has a deviation of in terms of the connection we have, then I don't assume something's happened in terms of how you are, I assume something's happened in terms of how I'm behaving. So almost like you're like very clean mirrors for me, mm -hmm. both of mm -hmm. you in that sense. Yeah. And in, and in that way, right. I mean, I, uh, I've been, I, I practice, um, a, I practice meditation in relationship to Buddhism, but it could be other things. And um, I'm reading about the concept of Shambhala. And I don't know if you've, no. come across this concept of the kind of the evolution of I was going to do a I was going to say the evolution of man let's not say that the the evolution of people okay and how um how if we all embody what is true for us and what is true really at the core of our being is goodness and really allow ourselves to be shining in our best way for everyone that will be a different way, then yeah. we start evolving into Shambhala, which is another type of consciousness, another way of living, another way of being on the earth, mm. another way of relating to each other and to nature. And that's that's kind of what we're reflecting, right? Is that we, we feel a, um, an attraction because of the energetic, how we're met in the yeah. constellation of people. Mm. And then that raises us, <clears throat> all yeah. of us. We have a dear friend called Peter Koenig. And Peter Koenig was on the show about a month ago. He's been on the show twice now. And he has created, a, a, a call it, I would almost say a manifested a world where he, he did a, a, a conference about two weeks ago where he called it Love and Business. And the reason why I bring his name up is because he brings forward a very beautiful concept called source. And he says, if you as an individual aren't working from your source, then I don't want to really work with you. Like I don't shun you, but if you're trying to get your source through working with me, I'd prefer you see what is the thing that gets you excited in life. And then we'll see if there's an overlap with our activities where we can support one another. But if you don't have that and then you come thinking that this might be where you find it, then I'm not as interested in that, in that kind of relationship. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing, and, man. 
And Peter yeah. Koenig is also the man behind Andy's uh, reclamation work. Yeah. In the second book, he did this reclamation work, which I use in both of the books. In but especially this one. Yeah, the wounded healer. You know, the uh, it was. We don't need to discuss it, but it's it's a great tool to take the thing that you're struggling with and make peace with it. And he's the one that 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 really cal I would say galvanized that into a really beautiful message. I, I'm mm. I'm curious. Um, I'm not even sure what my question is going to be. So I'm going to let it unfold. <laughs> It sounds to me that you've been almost like in your own kind of self-made retreat connected to nature. Mm. And you've been allowing nature to speak to you. And through that, there's, there's a wisdom that's coming up. And I'm also hearing that you've also kind of been guided to pick up certain books. So I'm wondering... Where do you feel there might be a gap where which makes you feel, oh, I'm going to reach out for a book now to see what else there's out there in the world? Hmm. Or, or, I'm not sure if, what the question is, but yeah. where, where in your development yeah. do you see yourself going? Hmm. Yeah. Um, so you did this, and it tickled me a bit because I lived in a place called Tinker's Bubble. <laughs> That was where I went off grid. It was a community. It's a fossil fuel free community in Somerset, in the south, mm -hmm. um, and it's um, really quite a special place. If anyone's interested in community living, um, off grid living, and as low impact as you can probably get in this country, um, it's incredible. And um, yes, through being there, there is a there was a level of through being there, through, through, I also lived on a boat and then I also went on to live in a, a little eco house on a piece of land after that too. Um, there's been a lot of time for, for listening, although I didn't consciously do it. Um, I, I, I joke to people and I say, you know, um, when farmers go out to start farming, they think they're going out to work on land but truthfully land works on you. Mm. And if you think you're in charge, you're just wrong. Mm. Um, and so in that sense, I feel like I became almost like a disciple of nature without intentionally doing that. And luckily for me, I heard that call and I think that's because of my ancestry, you know, in, in that my, my grandparents, one of my grandparents is still, um, doing an indigenous recipe and working on land and living on land now. And I think that because it was just one generation removed from land, I don't have the kind of brokenness or the kind of separation feeling that some people have. I just don't have it. Mm. Um, and, and then, so I did off-grid living and just kind of very quiet life for a long time. And then as I... Um, and I had a daughter with my uh, my husband, who was my husband. And then I decided to, something was missing, something wasn't right, and I decided to leave. And at that time, I just, I took something, some kind of this, and I just went like that. And I, mm. I was like, I want to be part of the world. I don't want to just be on a hill, living a very quiet <clears throat> life, 
very, very beautiful life though it was, I didn't feel that that's what my soul was yearning for. Mm. And in that time, at that time, I kept getting asked to provide the food for Buddhist retreats. I just kept getting invited. I was not, I wasn't Buddhist and I wasn't um, really that interested in spirituality at the time, or at least I didn't think I was mm. um, because I was obviously living on the land. And so at that point I started vicariously because I was working at retreats, uh, hearing teachings and talking with retreatants and felt, um, it was almost like my cup inside me was just started to fill up. And I realized that, um, I started to realize the richness that can come from the outside, like other teachings and other people, and that nature is not the only teacher. Mm. Which is why I really, really value uh, 42 Acres, actually, mm. is because, sorry, it's starting to rain, I hope the- It's beautiful. Okay. Yeah, just, just realizing that uh, wisdom can come through many, many channels yeah and that i don't want to be close to any of them yeah you want them to speak to you and then let that let yourself be informed by what you hear them uh teaching you as opposed to believing i always joke on the show you know if someone starts a sentence i believe then i always say no before they finish the sentence because it's just things are as they are and then there's an experience that i continually evolves yeah when you spoke, I wanted to say one thing that really touched me is that I lived in Japan for some some years. And in Japan, they have the two religions um, that I studied when I was there. And one was the Buddhism, right? And the other was the Shintoism. And the Shintoism was really fascinating for me. And I never quite understood it, but it's that spirit it embodies everything. So everything in nature is embodying spirit. And um, and there was this sort of weird thing I only discovered in you speaking right now was that uh, I began to sense, oh, wow. So in that religious understanding, there is more of a connection to the kind of oneness of everything, which I never really saw until you spoke of it this way. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's really beautiful. It's funny how, how we always get insights on the show when we talk to people. Yeah. To explain something that happened in the past. Yeah. As you're yeah. talking, I'm like thinking, wow, all those years, I never understood what they were really getting at, but now it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Are you homeschooling your daughter or is she going to school in the city or in the village? Or So, yeah, I went and picked her up in the village. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just now, actually. Um, I it's a good, It's a great question. I, in a way, I would love to be homeschooling her. Um, and I, when I left off-grid living, I decided I, I took the, you know, there's a, there's compromises to that. And part of that compromise is, is, is living in a world that needs a, more money than off-grid living. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, this is the first time I've lived in a house for 13 years and it was a bit of a process how is that not to live in a house for 13 years. like do you do you have a sense of wow this is convenient or do you have a sense of like god this is wasteful like how, what's the feeling after 13 oh, no, years no. 
if I'm really honest with you, I sometimes just have it. Oh my God, get me out of here, get me out of here. <laughs> this isn't real. That's, that's, what, that's what comes is this is not real. It's a this fabricated reality? Yeah. Wow, so the closer you are to the land, the more you feel, I would say it in that way, you're closer to nature. Yeah. But oh, it's, wow. And it's more real. <sighs> and then it's closer to your nature, of course. Wow. Yeah. wow. Ronnie and I have this discussion all the time when it comes to architecture. So I look at earth ships and I get very excited. I was going to use colorful language, but I'm not going to for reasons that other people might listen to at some point. But I get so excited by earth houses because in that architecture, I feel myself so grounded, even looking at it, looking at the the materials. Of course, I've also heard that when this, the, the, the tires get heated, you smell rubber in the air. So there's there's but sides to it. What? That's detritus from the industrial world, though. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I mean, not you don't want to romanticize things because then you get lost in another another belief system. But the thing that I was sort of getting at was, as you spoke just now, I realized I'm always attracted to earthier type dwellings. And Ronnie is like, just give me the basics and let it be clean. You know, we finally agreed on one thing. Andy, if it's clean, you can have whatever you want. That's basically what she's told me. I love her. <laughs> cool. Compromise. Yeah. 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 But my idea and her idea of clean are a little bit different because she would also say if the floor might, I might be okay with a, more of a, a rough floor, uh, you know, even dirt on part of the floor. Yeah. And that would be unacceptable for her for sure. Yeah. For me too. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> When your daughter goes to school in the village and she's connecting with the outside world and she's probably connecting to the outside world more than you, do I assume that? I would say that she mixes with a a more a wider range of people. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously every everyone who she's surrounded with has an impact on her. Yeah. Her teachers, everyone ha- comes with a belief system. So they're wearing Nike shoes. They've got backpacks with the things that are like popular ha- ham sandwiches on white bread. Uh, yeah. Potato crisps. Like to, to what degree is your, what's her name? Lillian. To what degrees does, does Lillian, um, do you allow her to fit into that world or mm. Does she also, I mean, she, she's, she seems pretty wise for her age. Does she also have her own, like, mom, I don't want to eat that stuff. Like, how, how, how does that play out? So I, I'll tell you t- two different things <laughs> which tell you what she's like. Uh, the other day, um, my, uh, we, were sit- we were all tired. I can't remember what, it had been a crazy week. And we were all tired. And um, I, I or my partner said to each other, like, should we get takeaway? And she went, I don't want to eat junk food. <laughs> I want healthy. <laughs> She's like, guys, it's just, it's, no. She's like, I want to eat really healthy food. I'm sorry. Oh, that's funny. I was like, I better cook then. Um, she's, so, you know, she, it's very strong in her. Mm-hmm. I wonder um, why. <laughs> yeah, I um I saw a funny video today of a child who was the mother kept putting um a different chocolate and and candies in front of the child, and the child would shove 
the chocolates away and scream. And then the mom put broccoli down. And then this child just started eating it like it was the last thing on earth. <laughs> it was like yeah. the opposite of yeah. an experience that we've it is, uh, it is it's amazing, to be honest with you, like it's amazing. If you raise a child in a community, Lily was born in the community, and all that was around was was like fresh peas to eat, chewing on, you know, I mean chewing Real on cacao? broccoli broccoli leaves yeah like uh, each literally would eat take a whole beetroot and just eat it uh-huh. um you know it's it's and and the social interactions i remember her being babysat when she was three months old so that i could have a rest yeah. um so you know i'm one of the guys there would regularly kind of like sling him on her his shoulder and go and peg his washing out it's incredible it's incredible and i just i'm i'm really want want to help manifest the future of community living because mm. it's so rich and it's so hard as well it's so yeah. hard so hard um yeah. one of our most it, watched it, episodes was community living that was one of our oh, most really? watched episodes ever yeah, yeah. i'm really it's curious so when you say it's so hard do you have an image that comes to your head of a scenario of a setup of a um what the hard part well, I'm thinking community, people coming together, trying to live together, trying to find each other, arguments, disagreements, how do we solve this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I think one of my biggest failings was thinking that everyone was there for the same reason. Yeah, that's the big one. Yeah. yeah. Ooh. Can, yeah. Can, can you dig into that a little bit? Like, what, what kind of intentions did you encounter that weren't resonating for you? Um, well, something that I find really interesting about being part of the, whatever you want to call it, alternative world or ecological world is you can, you can be going towards or you can be going away from. Mm. And the energy of that is so different. So you can be running away from the modern world because you can't cope. You can be running away from your, the way your parents did things. Mm. And then you're bringing that stuff into the community. Yeah, and then it's it's an energy. It's an energy. Yeah, we've said it. We have a whole show on it. Are you saying yes to the thing or are you saying no to something else? And there's no vision behind a no to something else. Yeah. 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 It's it's like relationships. (laughs) And it's not necessarily one or the other, right? So you might be rejecting one thing and and pulling towards something else. It's not a a clear thing. Mm. But... Um, you know, or, or hiding or. Yeah. We've heard, I was thinking, I was talking about Bali and hearing about a lot of people traveling to Bali. And what I learned in my short discussions with, with Bambos and others is Bali is a waiting ground for people who haven't figured out how to function in the rest of society. <laughs> Actually, I say Bali is especially parts of it is full of Westerners. Dressed in spiritual clothing, uh-huh. like the hipsters of spirituality, and I, I've met some pretty grimy people, but the majority, it feels like it's um, it's a nomadic digital lifestyle, and they're trying to sell it. Hmm. And the reason why I bring bring it forward, which I thought was fascinating, is that I didn't have the uh, feeling as I heard people share it back to me that they were going to something like you said I had a feeling like they were going away from something mm. like they didn't quite make it in their own 
place and they were trying to figure out a way to like stall life a little bit. That, that was the, the, what came up for me. As you Let's put it this way. I didn't meet people in Bali that had your energy, like this grounded, mm. like there's a kind of non-materialistic non way of being, a humility about you. And over there, it was about where are you going to do yoga and where are we going to eat? And there's this constant doing. Mm. And, and especially Ubud, of course, is um, has become a safe haven of activities for mm. the Westerners. Mm. I'd like to I'd like to shift away from Bali, and I'd like to go to Bololong, who's in South Africa, and he's <laughs> written a few things that I'd like to share. First, he didn't think you were twenty. <laughs> the skills of foraging have dwindled in our generation. My mother used to do it. New facts about Bulalang, right? Yeah, Bulalang is always sharing weird, interesting things with us. He also says that he didn't think you were in your 20s. Bulalang, I know he says, I thought you were in your 20s. Oh, I thought you were in the 20s, sorry. Not in my 20s. He has a fear of picking up mushrooms. That's a great question. So how do you discern edible or non-edible foods, specifically mushrooms and generally? Without having it becoming an into the wild and ending. Okay, so you want to know about mushrooms specifically because yes. different. I have different. Let's start there. Yeah. Like, have you? How many times have you picked something and got sick eating it? Never. Wow! Wow! That's impressive. Uh, That's impressive. Well, Lily's dad did have a cardiac arrest um, from eating a poisonous plant. Yeah, but you divorced him, so that's not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> he, had it. he had it when we were together. Oh, no, really? <laughs> that's really quite astounding, though. He had a cardiac arrest. How does he that had, happen? He had two or three Okay. in, in a row. Um, okay. He didn't show up for a date, and uh, it was <sighs> because he was being flown by an air ambulance to the hospital. Wow. And I left very angry voice messages on his uh, voicemail. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. So we he almost Lily almost didn't exist really. She he was really close. Yeah. Oh, and this so, is before. This is before yeah. Lily. Okay. Yeah. So I take it really, really, really seriously. Yeah. Extremely seriously. Mm. Um what I'm about to do actually, um, and what everyone should do that's interested in foraging with plants is to learn all of the plants that will take your life. Mm. It's one of the things that I most dislike about mainstream foragers is that you open a foraging book and it's full of food that you can eat. And a little bit like uh, what Bam Bambos said was they're selling a, they're selling it, right? They're selling foraging. And what I would really love to see is people really starting to talk about um, the the poisonous and the risk aspect uh, and the sustainability aspect. Yeah. Because mm. these two are the most important aspects before you begin to forage mm. the things you need. Now that's, that's with plants. With mushrooms, I kind of do a, almost like a reverse. So with mushrooms, if there are, mushrooms so if i see a mushroom um what i do is i figure out if in that family there are poisonous mushrooms that will take my life so i i 
will only forage mushrooms that have a highly safe are part of a highly safe bracket of mushrooms or group of family of mushrooms hmm. and i learn everything everything i can learn about that mushroom and i only pick a very i get to know a piece of land extremely well and i will only pick the ones that i'm absolutely certain of so it's a much narrower hmm. viewpoint yeah you said in the beginning that you would put, like when you were a child, you would just put things in your mouth and let them sit there and kind of taste? Yeah. So how long did you do that for? And with what kind of things before you actually started to educate yourself? I Because in that time, you, you that was risky, by the way, right? I still <laughs> do that. <laughs> so you're really trusting your senses. I've always had, and, and this is where um, almost like spirituality or meets teaching, right? I'm telling you how I would teach it. Mm. But what I absolutely know to be true is if you hang out in nature, nature will speak to you and you will start to know whether something is edible by looking at it, by feeling it, by asking the question. Mm. I'm not telling you that you should then ask the question and go and eat a whole leaf of something? Absolutely not. And please no one do that. But I'm telling you that that is what's happened to me. Yeah. I, I'm telling you, I always had a propensity to that. And that that is part of my reality of daily living. And I think it's actually part of the reality of many people. We're just not listening or acting on that. Hmm. I need to leave my, my, my thoughts as you speak to really feel what you're saying. Yeah. And then it's like, oh. Isn't it relaxing? To know yeah, because, be, because if, if, I, if I go into my mind, I start to have, haven't you seen that movie where the guy eats berries or like there's a, there's a lot of fear yeah. and control. And then if I breathe in what you said, there's like... Um, Ah, like the the gut feeling, the intuition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It. I mean, fear. I think, and this is this is actually similar to the theme that Andy and I've spoken about off air, which is the fear is part of the dance. If you weren't afraid, you're not mm. alive. It's necessary. It's important. It's a really important part of the dance. Yeah, and. I know that a few times, you know, I've just literally, I've seen some berries and I've grabbed them and I've put them in my mouth and I've eaten them and gone, shit. (laughs) I shouldn't have done that because my mind, my Western Western mind kicks in. Yeah. But but then I went away and I checked the identification and it was a wild um, blueberry. Yeah. Now I want to see your bookshelf. Now I'm, I'm thinking that you have le- like these old antique medicine books. Sitting. Yeah. That looks like she's a witch. You know. <laughs> I, awesome, I I have an awesome collection of books. Yeah. I thought so. I uh, when I was living in the Czech Republic, we would do the foraging, and there were also berry trees. And I remember picking from one berry tree because there were so many berries. And I was eating them, but I kept eating so many of them 
that I didn't, I wasn't conscious of the amount. It's not only you can eat it, but you can also eat it in moderation. So I ended up throwing up that entire night because my body couldn't absorb the amount of the berries that I'd eaten. Like a bear. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a lesson learned. But also, Andy. Yeah. That's part of purging is part of. Yeah. It's yeah, part true. of it. It's actually really, you know, it's got really, there's a case for purging. Yeah. True. I purge a lot, actually. When I'm with a very emotional surroundings, I'm I'm taking so much in that I'll often throw up. That's how my body yeah. sort of sort of processes deep, deep, and not even my own emotions. If I'm in a very emotional group, meaning yeah. so absorbing the emotions and taking them in my body, I'll just, I did it with Bambos when we, we did a course together. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, he absorbed all my emotions. <laughs> that was a hard one. We have a dear friend at the moment that's got going through cancer. Uh, Chris Gorell. He's been on our show, I think three times now. And he went to a special place in Colorado where every day they're um, transferring his blood and they're doing a blood transfusion with, I think it's mistletoe, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Yeah. And uh, mistletoe is, like you said earlier, is a poisonous, a poisonous. Uh, uh, You've seen the poisonous plant. Yeah. Yeah. But in, in as we said, in, in this practice that he's now doing, mm-hmm. It basically is considered healing when used properly. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Have you heard yeah. of this, by the way, or is this something? No, I have. I haven't heard of it being used for the treatment of cancer. Ah. But I have heard that you can use it in small amounts, um, mm. and I got quite intrigued by it. Um, but I haven't haven't actually tried it yet myself. I would mm-hmm. like to. There's a big ball of mistletoe on my way to work uh-huh. and I've been looking at it thinking if I stop my car and climb on the roof of my car then it, I might be able to reach it but then yeah. if somebody comes along the road my car's just like parked <laughs> but it's like it's a uh, it's in the ether of the, another whack another project another day um, yeah mm. in winter time I think is the best time to harvest it how do you experience sickness in your life Um, I'm very well. <laughs> um, I use all sorts of things that I make when I'm sick. And I also, um, help to gather things for friends who are sick. Um, I actually believe, um, and I'm sorry, this goes against me having a job and stuff, but, um, I actually believe that the things that are truly valuable should be free. I believe everyone has a right to nutritious food and I believe everyone should have a right to uh, medicine. Mm. Um, Mm. And so when I can, I um, will gather medicinal plants and herbs and make remedies in my free time to give away. Mm -hmm. I use berries. I use uh, leaves. I, I, you asked me how I experienced sickness. I truthfully, I believe that if you work 
well with food and nature that really you're looking at um, a way of being that is treating sickness before it happens. And this, but again, that comes from listening, which mm. takes time and practice. And mm. we're very much part of a society right now that wants us to be doing all the time. Yeah. And has a narrative around being lazy if you're not doing. And, you know, being still with your own, in, you know, with your own presence um, and feeling what's going on with your body is for me a really really important part of health um and i do you know obviously i do sometimes get sick and and i you know i kind of treat that with home remedies and if i need to i i'm i'm in a really beautiful place now where i'm it's like it's western medicine and it's herbal medicine it's prevention and if i need it it's i you know i seek a cure um i don't I don't need to be dogmatic about the way I live anymore. Yeah. I lived fossil fuel free for years and off grid for years. And I'm kind of now dancing with both worlds. Um, mm. And that, that's what that kind of way of being is really healthy for me personally mm. um, and respect to everyone who chooses to live off grid. You know, there's no, and, and, and the other way as well. Mm. Yeah. When, when in my life I stop eating, like I'm not eating any sugar. I cut out mm. carbohydrates. Yes. So just the limiting foods, which I felt were not serving me. As soon as I would eat something, my body just gets sick. Like I'll have a day of fever. And then the next day I'm, I'm good. Mm. And it's like, oh, this doesn't serve me anymore. Mm. Like, good, good. And, and even, even food, which I like, I'm a big pizza lover. There's a place in Amsterdam, which, oh my God. Am I allowed to say orgasm of a pizza? It's an orgasm of a pizza. And I can't eat it. Wow. it the, the dough is so heavy on my body. My body just, uh, like I'm in bed mm-hmm. and I start getting um, um, phlegm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, this is, this, is, this is not on anymore. So I'm wondering, when you were in the, um, in the extreme clean nature, when you decided mm-hmm. to come back, into this part of this part of the world um how did that impact your body um another really good question um it was a really hard transition because i was transitioning into being a single parent Mm. and it was i was a single parent without a lot of money and needing to work and without a lot of time and um i i really I was waiting for Lily to tell you that the one time I've taken her to McDonald's was straight after my interview for my job. Oh, oh wow. Did you feel bad? Did you feel bad? I, I didn't want to go. We were trapped. I was, we were driving home and there was nowhere to eat and there was the McDonald's. And I was just like, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to do this one time. And I felt awful. I saw your face when I asked her. Your face turned like ash, and I'm like, I was like, oh my god, I shouldn't have asked that question. It's one time. <laughs> I, I saw that too. I confess. I um, and I was actually sat there imagining, and I, I'm just going to put it out there energetically about yeah. a place that could be foraged fast food. Wow. Yeah. And I was imagining nettle burgers, or like you mm. know how you could have something like that, but that's that, and that's you know financially accessible 
yeah. made on made on scale to make it. And I was like, yeah. you know, imagine a world where that could happen. That could yeah. happen. Well, we're waiting for you. Yeah. <laughs> but did you actually uh, encounter like physically like your body was not okay being in this part of the world or were you like my, my oh. body's not my body's not really been okay if i'm honest mm. i've i've i transitioned out of that world three years ago and in that process i gained three stone three stone because i was three stone yeah i gained a lot of weight oh stone as in as in yeah. ki not kilogram stone stone sorry i'm i need to figure that one out okay continue no but it's ah. quite a lot it's quite a lot um, and I've had more health problems in the last three years than I have had in the entire 13 years before that. Wow. Um, my body, I, I, I know that right that I have been transitioning. It's been a three year transition and I moved mm. home about five times in three years. Um, wow. it's been tough. I've lived in two bed sits. Yeah. I, I was like, wow, this is what people have to deal with. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I did wonder about running back to the community. I, I did really think about have. it. And I, and I just thought, you know what? I I was meditating a lot and I I saw a place and it wasn't my land, it wasn't the community. And I just had to keep trusting. Yeah. I just had to keep trusting and eventually mm. now I'm in a place that's um much more supportive where I can grow vegetables and I'm rooting on another bit of land. Do you realize how crazy it is that you are employed to forage? Like who in their right mind would ever say, if you go for a next job interview where you would say, well, I was a professional forager. I, I won't, I won't seek to be employed afterwards. Okay. If I'm, if I'm not where I am. Yeah. But you realize how special it is that at 42 Acres, they've designated a role of someone to basically check out all the land. What can you eat? What can you not eat? How do we grow mushrooms? Like that, that's quite a spectacular uh, role for somebody. I, I, I secretly tell everyone I have the best job in the world, but not to tell anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear that, everybody? <laughs> Um, so my my official job title is production manager. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I think I think I think that I'm 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 called that name because it's so uncomfortable in a way to call me what I really am. Yeah. In a way, right? Like, so I had to be given a title that sounded like a job. Yeah. You should be the CFO, the chief foraging officer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've met. This part of the world, Froome, seems to attract some pretty, you could call it out there or progressive or traditional in a way, because foraging is more traditional, mm -hmm. um, people. So I've actually met about two other foragers here, full-time foragers. Wow. Met, yeah. Like um, people come, there's an amazing market here. So I, before I had my job, before I moved here, I used to take food that I'd made, ingredients that I'd collected and come and sell at the market. And people would, I would sell out. And then I, once I think I had to go back and get more stuff. Um, so there's something happening here mm. that is 
uh, telling of what's in the ether or in the mm. in the zeitgeist. Or... Do do you is this like you like a private like I'm not going to reveal my spot so the other foragers don't take your uh, stash? It's definitely been an issue for me when people have asked me to give interviews. Um, one of the things that I used to forage, the, the, the product that I made that ended up going to quite a scale um, was called sea buckthorn. It was a sea buckthorn juice. I don't know if I've ever, have I fed it to you yet? No, not that I know of. Okay, next time. But I mean, is this seaweed? No, it's a no, wild okay. berry called sea buckthorn that grows on the coast. And um, the thing that we did was we developed a way of picking it that was much faster than machines can do. And it meant that we weren't harming the bush. So we were picking it and not cutting the bush. So the bushes would have fruit every year. Yeah. And I was asked a thousand times where I went. And um, I was too, because I was sustaining Lillian, the money I was making from selling juice. I couldn't, at the time, I just felt like I couldn't risk jeopardizing yeah. that. I was, if somebody else came and picked it just before me, I would be screwed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I used to say, well, you know, on the coast. <laughs> just general, somewhere along the coast. You know, there reminds me of there's this place where they found the highest redwoods in the world. And these people discovered them on a climb and they refused to share where they are. So there are these high redwoods that exist on the planet, but since they know that if they ever share that location, everyone's going to go there and then they're going to become, you know, whatever they become. So it's quite fascinating that these things exist and yet we don't even know where they are. They know because they measured and took, you know, whatever they did. But mm. yeah, it's it, there's something, something we've discussed because we've been working on the 42 Acres vision together. You know, some of the, the greatest visionaries are letting nature do its thing so we don't need to repair nature nature can take care of itself <laughs> just get out of the way i mean that's sort of a a real message that i've taken away from our time together yeah. you know one thing yeah. that i also wanted to share about things or ask you about because i get allergies and then i basically boil nettles every year and then i drink nettles for i don't know for a few weeks during allergy season you mean you mean hay fever Hay fever. You haven't had it this year. This year not, because I've been taking better care of myself, I think. And I gave you bee pollen. And you did give me bee pollen. Yes. Mm -hmm. So my question to you is, what are things specifically that you uh, like 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 that? I don't even know if you do that yourself because you didn't seem to react. Can I interrupt something? Please. I Intuitively, when I look at Andy this year, he's been walking every day. There's no way he can get hay fever. With that amount of walking, I think you walk like four hours a day. Yeah, three to Fresh four hours. air, regardless of weather condition, like those legs are moving. That that booty's moving. <laughs> the belly's going down. He's breathing. He, yep. feel, he feels good. Mm. And he's not defined by his uh, calendar anymore. No. Or, or his inbox. Like those took second place. Yep. So you, you, you don't. She she doesn't have to answer that question because you're intuitively following your yeah. nature. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. 
someone wants to meet, I'm like, great. Either we do it on the phone or we'll wait until it's possible. But I'm not rearranging my walking so that you get your time with me, you know? Nice. Yeah. And when I look at you, um, Tasha, I had to read your name. I forgot it. Sorry. It's okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You're you're outside in nature the whole time. Mm. Your your hands are getting, I'm not sure if you still do that, like getting dirty and gritty and you're breathing. Yeah. And you're with the elements, right? Yeah. Yeah, she took me foraging when I was at the 42 Acres. So I had my foraging experience with you, which I love because we went out, we picked the vegetables, and those are the same vegetables we ate in the salad that, that lunch. Must have yeah. been the best salad you've ever had. It was fantastic. I mean, you know, one thing I did notice is that I'm kind of like I'll eat a lot. So when I looked at that salad for like six people, I'm kind of like, okay, what is everyone else going to eat? <laughs> like that's the only thing I noticed about foraging is that the the consumption is really moderated in a way. You're not picking like you would for massive amounts. You like pick enough almost to sustain yourself. Yeah, and there's a nutrient density aspect to foraging mm. where you know if you take um, a leaf that is grown outside that a wild a wild leaf a salad leaf that's had to fight to be there it's built up all the phytonutrients it's had to fend off other plants and insects that want to come and attack it so it builds up this type of resilience that when you eat it it gets transferred into your body Hmm. and it's wildly different from a lettuce leaf that's been carefully nurtured in a nursery and bred over many generations in order to be kind of sweet and delicate um, mm. and it's, it, it enters you in a completely different way um, yeah. and gives you a different kind of sustenance. Is it, is it true or is it true? Uh, in, we have organic markets here in, in the Netherlands, like a lot of them, especially in Amsterdam, there's quite a lot of, with health and so forth. Yes. Um, how my body ex- I don't eat fruit by the way because I find them way too sweet. And I think you're on I- a similar path to me with diet actually. Sounds oh, right. So so when I hear you speak it's almost like even though they say it's organic it feels way too sweet. And w- when when um I'm coaching some guys in and the- training them and we're talking about food the guy eats one mango and then then he's wondering why he has a belly and I'm like, sorry, man, that the mango has to go out of your diet. He's like, that's the only thing that brings me joy. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like sugar is addic- addictive. Of course it brings you joy. Yeah. So yeah. how how did that come about? Do you, do you know that fruit became but, so sweet? I think wild fruit is a naturally occurring food source. But I think in this society like fruit and sugary things are available in a way that they never were even a hundred years ago because concentrated sugars are not, they're not meant to be, we're not meant to eat them in the quantity that we do. And people think that because a smoothie is made with fruit, that it's healthy. Yeah. And it's, it's a myth. It's not. And what I found, and I can, I completely agree with you. What I found is that, actually removing sugary fruits because um, we don't realize we think oh, if I don't eat chocolate 
then I'm not addicted to sugar. Yeah, if I don't eat sweets and I don't eat all that stuff, I'm not addicted to sugar. And at the same time, we're eating loads of bananas or drinking smoothies, mangoes. Yeah, you're right, pineapples. And actually, we're still messing with our blood sugar. Yeah, and we're still we're getting that addiction, and we're just getting it in a in a kind of different way. It, it is a natural way. It is a natural way, and and I think a little bit of sugar is you know we we work hard, and a little bit of sugar in the form of fruit is not a bad thing, like an apple or a pear, right? But we're not supposed to drink them in liquidized form or induced form because our bodies just turn them into you know sort of energy spikes, even yeah. when they're fruit. And we don't really think about that. And then we also think, and you you talked about joy, you know, the joy of eating mango. Like, I agree, it can, of course, mango is delicious. Um, but what I would say is that, you know, and I think Andy touched on it as well, about essentially like sculpting your palate and how if you mm. just lower these things, you know, it, it's not about never, never having something sweet. It's just about knowing that if I eat a piece of cake this afternoon, that this evening I might think about having pudding because my body's craving that spike. Yeah. So it's about doing it in a really conscious way and kind of going, well, actually, in four hours when I crave another sweet or I crave a piece of chocolate, I'm not going to eat it because mm. I'm not actually supporting my body in that way. Your flavor changes. It changes and you yeah. you begin to fall in love with different flavors. Mm. And actually, I would say that forage food um, can really, really uh, almost like shine at that time because, you know, you, you'll, you won't love bitter until you start to reprogram your palate mm. to really know what bitter does in your body and how it cleanses you. And it's the same with nettle. Like I drink a cup of nettle tea. And I just go, mm, that's so good for me because I can taste the minerals, but that's only because I've done the quietening work. And the quietening yeah. work is, is taking away the crap so that you can actually really taste the food. Because if, the crap, if that crappy food is clouding your palate, you can't really taste the subtlety or the different, like the effects that, that the new, the wild food is having on yeah. your body. You can't really feel it. So how much raw cacao do you eat? I have a I have a big jar. <laughs> yeah, you guys are more similar than you'll ever know. <laughs> like I I have a lot of cacao at home, but I but I saw also in the beginning when I stopped eating all the sugars, I would every time I crave for sweet, I did the cacao. But at some point, I saw that it would give me such a heavy feeling in the front lobe that I, that I, right now I've gone I've gone down to like a, a piece, one piece a day, and before two o'clock or else I or else I. It's yeah. going to keep me up at night. And for yeah. those that haven't tasted raw cacao, imagine yourself picking a piece of dirt off the ground and putting it in your mouth. Shut and, up. And, and chew it. it, it, it <laughs> it's, it's really bitter. And if you chew it good, if you chew it good, actually, you, you do get some sweetness. I would even compare it to vanilla. Mm. But it's very subtle. A really good quality cacao. And that yeah. comes with chewing your food, people. Chewing your food. <laughs> Don't gulp it. <laughs> I actually, one of my favorite experiences was when I went to Costa Rica and I spent a day and they actually took us through the entire process of making cacao. So, and getting to see it being made firsthand and picking the actual thing. You didn't bring me any. It was really nice. I really enjoyed it as a, you as didn't a learning bring me experience. Any. No, I didn't. Thank you, Tasha, for being with us. It was really great to spend this time with you. 
Thank you. Thank you. Send you a hug. Uh, send you a yeah, kiss. Yeah. Yes. Bye. Bye. So how is it to meet your alter ego in in the England? Your alter e- eating ego. <laughs> It sounds like you could spend some time there and learn how to eat in a way that you might even start picking things in Amsterdam Sabos. Do you, do you know what the paradox is? What's that? I think I've shared this with you. When when friends in during these times, during the COVID times, ask me to meet, let's go for a walk in yeah. the park or let's go to the forest. I'm like, guys, there, like, there's no effing way I'm going to the park and forest. I want to be around people. So if I have free time, I want to walk through the city. I want to see life. <laughs> yeah. You're alone in your house during this COVID period. King, you wanna... King's Day was a bit too much. It was yeah. overwhelming. To So I, I, I couldn't be with it. Yeah. But it was beautiful to witness, like, have that. Wow, that's how life looked like. Yeah. <laughs> Fascinating. But uh, I, I have to say that I, um, the only nature I'll be doing when I go to my country is climbing with my brother. Yeah. And waterfalls. Oh, nice. I um, I must say that when I speak to Tasha, what happens to me is it feels kind of like a meditation. Through her, I sense how she's engaging her environment and the land around her. And there's a degree of when we, she spoke about energy, I see that's the energy that drives me closer to feeling at peace mm. and wanting to be closer to the land. Um, and that's just something that I see as a continual, um, like a, a, a desire, a deep desire inside of myself. Yeah. And yeah. being with her for me was just witnessing someone that embodies wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Nat- like, like, nature's wisdom. Like the, the intelligence. Yeah. What we talk, and we talk, not the intellect, but the intelligence connected. Yeah. And she liked me, so she has to be pretty intelligent now. <laughs> That's what I always say to Ronnie. Hey, guys. I wish you a beautiful evening. (laughs) Thank you. And we're going to do this and again and again and again. In this petty pace from day to day. And so much To the last syllable of recorded time. (laughs) This is Bambos getting people to say wonderful chaos. Thank you. Bye. It's a wonderful chaos. We like it down.